Welcome to Speed City with John Massengill and Jonathan Green. It's the fastest hour on the radio, Speed City. To your Sunday night with Speed City at a special early super-duper time. This is John Massengale. I'm sitting in the studio in, in Austin, Texas. And I'm joined by Mr. Bob Varsha. Bob, how are you, buddy? Doing great, John. Despite lousy weather here in Atlanta, I'm heading to Florida tomorrow, and I'm looking forward to a week of sunshine. Oh, good for you. Fantastic. Well, uh, I hope everybody's going to join us today. We're doing this because of the big football game uh, this evening. And Casey, our producer, doesn't ask very many favors, but ask if we could do it early. And uh, I said, absolutely. If, besides the fact that had we, do, <laughs> had we done it at our normal time, nobody would be paying attention anyway. Yeah, so Nobody so, at all. <laughs> so why not? Well, Jonathan's not with us because... He's down in uh, New Zealand at the Toyota Racing Series, and I know that he literally was oh, no. jumping oh, <laughs> straight to the airport today to come back because he's got Trans Am at Sebring coming up, I think, I guess, this coming weekend. So Jonathan's not going to join us, but we have, a, we have a bunch of good stuff on the show tonight. Lots of stuff happening, in, particularly in Formula One. So, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about the Hossip One car shakedown at Silverstone. We have a nice little clip of the technical director, Simone Resta, from Haas F1, talking about the 2023 car development. It looked pretty interesting. There's lots to talk about with that. So we're mm-hmm. going to go over that, and we're going to talk about some remarks about the F1 CEO, Domenicali, talking about the Andretti comments from earlier. So that is interesting. Uh, we're going to talk about FIA with Ben Salem uh, and his change in duties. Uh, that was an interesting little little take that happened this week. Alfatari did their livery reveal. Uh, as such, it was pretty minimal, but we'll talk about that as well. And we are going to have an American, young American race car driver, Jacob Abel, is going to join us live from New Zealand, down where Jonathan is. And he finished, they finished up the season last night, and he finished third. There were four Americans that finished in the top 10 in the Toyota Racing Series down there at the Formula Regional Oceana Series down there. So, but Jacob's going to join us towards the end of the show. So we'll get to hear what a young driver feels like down there in New Zealand. But, but Bob, I want to start with a story that you put in here in our show doc that um, I wanted you to start off the show with about mm-hmm. Jean-Pierre. I can't pronounce his last name. Well, Jean-Pierre Jabouille passed away at the age of 80. We hate to start the show on a, on a down note, but his was a really interesting career. I think anybody who's been a fan of Formula One for a long time knows about the 1979 French Grand Prix at Dijon, where uh, Gilles Villeneuve and René Arnoux we're battling and wheel banging, and it's the most hair-raising competition you have ever seen. Um, my old friends and colleagues, Kent Squire and David Hobbs, called that race for the United States. And it was, it was just amazing. But what nobody thought about at the time was that they were fighting over second place because up over the horizon and far away was Jean-Pierre Jabouille, who was a master of car setup, 
endlessly curious about the mechanics of uh, Formula One and racing generally. And a, basically the, the main cog along with Bernard Dudo uh, in developing Renault's revolutionary V6 turbocharged engine, hmm. which failed and failed and failed and failed and failed until it finally came good after a couple of seasons. And Jean-Pierre Jabouille got that first victory for the Renault Turbo. <laughs> to the end of his days, he laughs about the fact that nobody cared because of what uh, <laughs> Arnoux and Villeneuve were doing. That probably wouldn't be allowed in modern F1, it must be said. But uh, he is definitely a guy worth knowing more about, and he will be missed. Well, thanks for that. And there's uh, there's a couple of nice articles out there uh, on him, mm-hmm. motorsport.com and a couple other places that I spotted out there. So, well, I want to move into what I alluded to at the top of the show about um, F1 CEO Stefano Domenicali talking about Michael Andretti. And it's not the first time we've heard him say similar comments, but... He's responding to when Michael called the teams greedy uh, a little bit back a few weeks ago. And, you know, as we know, Andretti's partnered with General Motors, trying to put together a spot on the F1 grid. But um, Domenicali called his comments not smart. He says, first of all, we're very welcoming of everyone that is bringing value to to the racing. He's talking to uh, Sky Sports F1. He said, I know them very, very well, of course, Michael and Mario, for many years. That's not a problem of not welcoming. Uh, that's been wrong wording, he says, that it's that, that they haven't been welcoming. He says, I think we need to res- respect everyone. There, there are teams like Mar- uh, Mario Andretti and Michael Andretti being very vocal about their will to enter Formula One. In my view, it is not smart to say the teams are greedy to protect themselves, but that's my opinion. But there are others with much less vocal that would like to come into Formula One. So there is a process, and to respect, we'll make sure together with the FI that the process is respected. So, yeah, I mean, Bob, it's not the first time he said similar comments, right? Yeah. I mean, come on. We're all grown-ups here. Uh, Michael has gone through a tremendous process organizing his Formula One team. Um, all he needs is the okay from on high, as I understand it, uh, and, and he deserves a lot of credit for that. And it's certainly understandable that he is frustrated. And to be honest, he's got a point. The teams think that $200 million ante that he's got to come up with to get his team off the ground is, uh, is too little. You could make that argument. It probably should be more given uh, the going rate among other professional sports around the world. But that's not the point. You know, guys like Toto Wolf and Christian Horner, you know, they don't get their feelings hurt lightly. So I'm not sure exactly where Stefano Domenicali is coming from on this. It doesn't help, but if the process is purely about showing that you have the finances, you have the engineering bench, you have the facilities, you have everything you need to go Formula One racing and bring value, um, whatever that means, you know, who cares about, you know, schoolyard name calling you know michael's (laughs) frustrated and rightfully so so get over it let's go racing let's hear about this process let's hear who these other teams are thus far unnamed who want to get on the grid who are they what have they got to show michael's put his cards on the table what are they doing i i love it bob because (laughs) 
you know, Michael said he wanted to do this and and basically got almost no response at all except for from people like Toto Wolf and Christian Horner who were, were initially criticizing him. He's like, well, well, hang on a minute. So so basically, uh, Domenicali is saying it's okay for Total Wolf and them to start criticizing, but it's not okay for Michael to respond. I, I don't, I don't remember the exact timeline, but I agree with you. It's yeah. silly. Let's let's get the process going. And and you know, this is something we didn't get to touch on uh, last week. Is that the FIA is formally opening up the the process for for new teams? But like you said, let's find out who those are. And yeah. let, let's hear, you know, let's hear what's going on there. Mm-hmm. I agree. But yeah, that, that process is now formally open. And the article that I read was talking about how they're saying there's documents that need to be submitted and, you know, all the formal process. I'd like to know all the details about how all that's going to happen. And, mm-hmm. and of course, who the other teams are. But, but let's, let's continue to make that transparent right that's what we want we want some transparency in this whole sure. thing absolutely yeah so we'll see we'll watch that closely obviously we'll see what happens there i if i had to, if i were a betting man i would say that it won't be long after the process is you know whatever the deadline is for them to, to close the process and then announce teams that i would imagine andretti cadillac will get announced that that is yeah. going to happen pretty darn quickly because yeah, and we should note too, uh, Formula One has stubbed their toe badly in the past when it comes to vetting new proposed teams. I mean, they have had some real losers out there. Um, in the case of the stillborn USF1 program, that car was coming along, but it just wasn't on the appropriate timeline. So now a timeline is required to be submitted so they can avoid that situation in the past. But they've also had teams come out there. Oh, God, where was that guy from? I can't remember his name. He wanted to use uh, a garage in Croatia somewhere where he was going to base his Formula One team and buy his stuff from Toyota up in Cologne, Germany. And, and it was just <laughs> the most transparently uh, useless attention grab, I guess you'd say. So, uh, you know, you can understand Formula One wants to make sure they're talking to real, legitimate, plausible uh, applicants to join the Formula One grid. Mm. And I can't see how putting three more teams out there, if they are properly vetted and are ready to go out there and do the job, how can they not bring value to Formula One? I just don't get it. Mm. I understand the teams on the lower half of the championship last year aren't so crazy about that idea. Teams on the upper half, at least for now, are probably safe given how hard it is to to wring results out of Formula One competition. But I don't know. I don't know what everybody's afraid of or insulted by. <laughs> you know what? Uh, Andy P on YouTube has a really good comment, and it really goes right into what you just said. It's like Andy says, mm-hmm. feels like Stefano and Michael need to sit down, break bread, and hash this out. So short-sighted. Yes, why don't we get a little face-to-face communication, you know, uh, we're sitting here communicating over Twitter and other social yeah. media. It's like, come on, guys, let's just let's sit down and uh, and hash this out properly. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Andy has another good comment. He says, if, it also feels like a kiss the ring statement. If the Netflix boom starts to wane, Stefano might be stuck with 10 teams if he's lucky. He could easily go back to 2014 again. Yes. I mean, 
I was just I was literally thinking on the on the drive to the studio how crazy it was. It wasn't that long ago, and I was sitting across from Gunther Steiner, and he was telling me it was before the Uruka, it was right after Urakali had been announced, and he was saying that Gene told him that he was going to shut the whole thing down. They had done their five year stint. Mm-hmm. And they were going to shut it down. And Gene said, either find some money or shut this thing down. And, yeah. and here we are. I'm sure Gene has a totally different tune that he's singing now about the value of his investment now. Because who knows what the yeah. value of a Formula One team is now, right? Yeah. So he signed the Concord a couple of years ago. He's got three more years to think about it. And then at the end of 2025, on the eve of the new engine rules coming in with all six big car builders around the world who have said they're going to build Formula One drive lines. He'll have another opportunity to, to judge whether he wants to, uh, to stay in the ballpark with Formula One. But, you know, the, the way things are going right now, right. I, how can you not want to be in Formula One? Look at Ford. Look at GM. <laughs> yeah. Honda wants to come back yet again. Talk <laughs> about short attention spans. Come on, guys. Honda's been in and out of Formula One, you know, more often than every you know, gold credential holder in the pit lane. Um, yeah, I mean, better well, days are ahead. Well, if you want more money, ask for more money. I'm sure Michael can find it. The one piece of advice I would give Michael, and it, and it reflects kind of on his horrible year in Formula One uh, back in the early 90s, is he waited for his McLaren team to contact him to test, to contact him about where he needed to be and when. It, I, I hope he's not doing that now. You know, swallow your pride a little bit. Don't wait for them to contact you. Keep banging on that door. What do we need to do? What do we need to do? When do we need to do it? Here it is. You know, force their hand. Yeah. Uh, you talk about Honda. Um, I want to, we're going to go to quick break, but when we come back, I just want to touch Ooh. on that. But uh, you're listening to Sunday Night with Speed City, special Sunday afternoon edition. Back after these. I got a question from Doug on YouTube. He says, are you guys still on channel 81 on Sirius XM? Yes, but only for the Formula One races yeah. and for uh, a, a Wednesday show that Chris Medlin and I do. Uh, so on the, um, we're do the, still doing the pre and post race shows this year. And Bob and myself and Jonathan Green and Chris Medlin are going to be doing that with the occasional visit from Dave O'Neill. And speaking of Dave O'Neill, I don't know if anybody can see what's, what I have in my hand I have my my own personal fidget spinner, and this is a wheel nut off of a I think it's a 2017 Ferrari Formula One car, and oh, it's wow. really really cool. I was doing a little presentation at a school here. Let me hold it up closer. But um, I was doing a presentation for a school, and I reached out to O'Neill and I said, "Hey, what do you got that I can take to show the kids?" <laughs> And now I have to give it back. I, I'm going to keep forgetting to give it back. Oh, heck but... yes, you have to give it back. <laughs> I wonder how much engineering and manufacturing that thing costs. It's probably a $10,000 wheel nut. Well, good guess, because that's that's one of the first questions I ask. He said between five uh-huh. and five and ten grand for a wheel nut. I'll buy that. I mean, <laughs> not literally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Encase it in acrylic and make a paperweight out of it. You know what I'm in, I'm encasing in acrylic 
is the business card that Mario Andretti handed to me. It is, I wish I had had it. it. It is the coolest business card. And I immediately took it when he handed it to me. Actually, his assistant handed it to me. And I put it in my top pocket. Hey, yep. And I didn't want to mess it up. So I'm going to put it in one of those acrylic things and put it on my desk. It's just the coolest card. It just says <laughs> Mario Andretti on the front. And That's I, right. What else do you need? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Call Patty. Call my secretary, Amy. Don't call me. Exactly. I'm Mario. <laughs> uh, love the guy. Absolutely love the guy. All right. Coming back from the break. Hi, this is Mario Andretti, and this is Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. Speaking of Mario Andretti, bringing us back. All right. I said I was going to talk about Honda. And just very briefly, because I want to get into the Haas F1 car launch or car shakedown, I should say. And uh, I was just going to say with Honda, you know, I was talking about the timing of the Haas F1 team about Gene Haas said he was going to get out. Well, Honda did it. They got out. You know, they, they had such a time of it with McLaren, right? A horrible experience. Took them years to get the power unit right. They were getting blamed for, you know, rightfully so. The power unit wasn't doing great. And then when they got it right, by the time they got it right, they'd already decided to get out and hand over basically all their engine technology to Red Bull, who's now going to hand that to Ford. Think about that. So it's like the worst possible scenario for for Honda. I mean, I shouldn't laugh because Honda's been a, a big part of motor racing. And, uh, you know, I have a very favorable opinion of Honda and motor racing and their technology and their engineering but that was just really crappy timing. It just shows you the velocity of of the increase in uh, in audience, in the, especially in the United States in Formula One. Mm. It was crazy. But yeah, but and and that's you know what caught the attention of GM and Ford. You know, you you cannot not to use a double negative be involved in Formula One if you want to get your name out. If you're building cars, technology, and so on, the rule about Honda, we always used to say is most car companies build street cars and then go racing. Honda is a racing company that happens to build street cars. And, um, and they do so mainly to train young engineers. So, you know, you, you'd think they'd be endlessly patient in that regard. And yet they came in, built their own car in the sixties, then left, came back with McLaren and swept the table, then left, then came back again and left. And now, you know, here we are. Apparently, they are talking to McLaren because Honda is declared for the 2026 new engine rules. They're going to build power units, but they don't have a team. So supposedly, they're chatting with uh, with Zach Brown and the gang uh, at McLaren about rejoining Formula One as a uh, as a team. Yep. And uh, someone on YouTube asked, security check Al or Jow says. Is there a possibility that Honda supply a power unit to Andretti with the Cadillac badge? And I think, well, actually, we touched on this in a few shows ago. Mm-hmm. I think, yes, that's a possibility because there was the GM and Renault connection and all these other things, but also, but for absolutely that, that fell apart. But GM and Honda have absolutely agreed to do to move forward to do electric vehicle engineering and production together in some way. And they have that partnership. So, and then of course, Andretti and Honda have a connection. And so, I think that's a definite possibility. It's just there's a lot of a lot of uh, 
a lot of negotiating and a lot of discussion to take place before well, all this yeah. flushes out. So yeah. Yeah, if Honda's providing engines to two teams under two different brand names, um, who gets priority? Yeah, yeah, good question. That's um, all the uh, go fast parts. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to talk about the Hoscar because the Hoscar hit the track at Silverstone. What was it? A hundred kilometers, I think it was. They got to run, and you know. I say run. I hesitate to call it test because it's really just a shakedown, right? It's the first time the car put yeah. put on track, and and they call uh, it a filming day. Yeah, yeah. But you know as well as I do, anytime you can put a Formula One car on track early, you're you've got all the uh, the data channels open and collecting data, right? <laughs> sure, sure. They uh, they'll be out there. And Kevin Magnuson was really enthusiastic about driving the car. He seems to think it's a real step up yes, for them, which is encouraging and good to hear. Uh, yes, I want to, our producer showing some of these photos because the car itself, when I first glanced at it, it looked pretty close to last year's car. And then you start zooming in and looking, there is quite a bit of new bits on this car. And sure. I mean, it looks like, a really uh, significant upgrade from last year, which is super exciting. I mean, look, we, we saw how great they came out of the gate last year. And then I feel like that they kind of ran out of money and didn't have a bunch of money for the upgrades. And this year with MoneyGram, speaking of money, MoneyGram, that they're going to have some ability to do that. But yeah. I, I I've got a little clip here, um, and this is from the uh, the technical director for Haas F1, Simone Resta. And I want to play this. It's like three minutes or so. And he talks about, I think this was filmed right before they actually went to Silverstone. But he talks about the process. And I thought it was really fascinating about when they start the process. So let's uh, let's hear from Simone Resta. The VX23, the new 2023 car uh, concept work, has started approximately after the first races of the 22 car. Uh, basically, as soon as we, we put the car on the track, we learned about it, etc. Then we started to, to work on, uh, on the new model. Initially, the work uh, is, uh, is a bit less intense with some aerodynamic development, some initial concept work. And then uh, week after week, month after month, you know, is a progressive increase of resources, a progressive probably shift one project to the other. Uh, up to a point that when you arrive uh, at the shutdown time is kind of the vast majority of the resources are, are on, the new, on the new car. So there is this transition period that is going more or less uh, uh, from the first race to the shutdown where the resources are moving one, uh, one project to the other. And then uh, after that, uh, then is a matter of start to, you know, release the big, uh, the big models in production, the chassis and then, you know, all the other parts, etc. And that is, again, another transition between, uh, let's say, shutdown and, uh, say, Christmas time, where the majority of the components are released in production. Uh, now we are into the next phase, so we are just at the start of the car build. Uh, the car is homologated. And uh, um, in a few weeks' time, we'll, uh, we'll proceed with all the steps of, of assembling the car before we start with the chassis and the fuel system. And then step by step, we, we start to add... Uh, uh, the, the blocks like the suspension and then the you know the radiator duct the radiators all the cooling system etc and uh, you know building the chassis and uh, onto a vehicle 
and uh, we are planning to fire up the car beginning of February and uh, uh, being ready, let's say, for a mid, a mid February uh, um, filming day, let's say, um, uh, promotional event on the track. Well, looking after the, all the main areas of, of intervention from 22 to 23, I say that probably we try to save uh, a few of the components on the 22 car, but try to redo everything, uh, redo uh, to improve the aerodynamic performance on the car, uh, redo to improve the, the weight of the component, and redo to improve the, the quality of the component, and, uh, and improve also the reliability, all based on the lesson from the previous model. So there has been uh, a massive rework of all the car. Uh, some of the components, they don't look radically different. I, th I would say it's, it's probably more a development of the 22 car, but uh, it's a complete uh, rework of all the car. It's a complete development involving many, many components. It's always very difficult to predict what, what happened into the next season in terms of, you know, uh, competitiveness ranking and gap, let's say, from the first cars to the last cars on the, on the grid. Um, considering uh, uh, a good stability in terms of regulation uh, and considering our last year, uh, uh, the outcome of, of last year, I probably think that uh, we might see uh, a closure in terms of, uh, of grid uh, and gaps, let's say, uh, from the first cars to the last cars, but uh, let's see, let's see in, in two months' time. Uh, well, last year's proposition was a, a great joy for everyone in the team, it was uh, the first proposition ever for the team. Uh, for me, the, our objective is always to maximize our performance in every condition, from uh, uh, on every track, in every condition, with both drivers, and uh, that's the objective. Then how that will materialize into a final result, I'm not sure. It, it would be great to see a podium or a race win. Uh, we, we always have to aim high, and uh, let's see what we can get in 23. Lots of interesting stuff in that, Bob. I'm, I'm, I just took a handful handful of notes. I love it. I knew this, but it's interesting to hear it is that they said that the day the 22 car hit the track was the day they started development on the 23 car. We always have heard that, but it's, it is amazing to think about that. And, uh, and remember this is the team. I think this is what just the second year that this team headed up by Simone Resta, that they have the, their offices in Marinello, of course, near Ferrari or at Ferrari, essentially, but mm -hmm. the, this is, isn't this just the second year that this group of people have been working together? Uh, yes. Well, third year, I think, because remember the, the whole thing was sparked by the imposition of the cost cap, originally $145 million. So teams were cutting back on personnel and that led to uh, the folks at, at Haas to increase their personnel using veteran engineers and so forth from Ferrari, which led to the, the formation or the establishment of that office in Marinello. So yeah, they've had several seasons of working together. I thought those were brilliant remarks. Uh, uh, Simone Resto was a little bit hard to understand, but it was a great layout of the timeline that all of the teams operate on, you know, within their, within their budgets and their facilities and what's possible. This year's car is on the track, turn it over to the team, let us know if you have issues. Meanwhile, we're off working on next year's car. <clears throat> and uh, he referred to the shutdown. That's the, the summer break, the four weeks between Hungary and Spa, August, September, um, where the teams have to shut down the factories for everybody to get a break. Uh, and then they're back at it to the end of the season. 
But while the team hopefully is fighting for a championship, the boys and the girls back at the factory are working on next year's race car. It's just a fascinating process. I love it. Yeah, uh, you said he's kind of hard to understand. Absolutely. I was listening to that, and I was playing some of it back, and I was like, I still don't get it. But Haas had a, <laughs> sort of a transcript. They had a transcript of about 20 or 30% of his words on their uh, yeah. on their news release. So that, <laughs> that helped me a little bit. But uh, I like the last thing he said, and I'd already thought about this. When I, as soon as I saw the car and I, I, I was looking and I'm hearing that it was quite a bit of new development done, I was thinking, you know, we had the, the uh, pole position for Magnuson last year, which was a brilliant pole position. It, it was mm-hmm. not just the luck of the rain. It was a brilliant drive by Magnuson. And I thought, you know what? They, they could potentially fight for podiums this year. I mean, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen, you know? And, and, right. and the fact that Gunther said that they are now going to be able to spend up to the budget cap, where insinuating that they couldn't last year. And right. so the fact that they are going to have, look, they're, they're now a mature team. They're maturing. They've got, like we just said, they've sure. got this, this staff of people there that have been working together. Uh, they've got, they've got the money to get all the little bitty things. I, I spent the day with my son yesterday in the race shop and them on the McLaren. He, they were working on it a little bit. And he was just talking about what every tiny little thing cost. And I thought, you know, that it, with Haas, having that little bit of money could keep pushing them up the ladder. You know, I, I still feel like it's going to sure. be maybe weather related or something to get Haas onto the podium, but I, I wouldn't be crazy, would it? Oh, absolutely not. And, you know, Pietro Fittipaldi on the show last week said, the MoneyGram sponsorship deal is huge because we can spend right up to that um, cap and we can do lots of things beside because there's a lot of loopholes in the in the uh, cost cap. But be that as it may, um, we can do more. We can upgrade more. You know, how, how early did Haas, you know, shut down further development of the 2022 car? because they just didn't have the resources and they had to be thinking about 2023. Well, now, hopefully we'll be seeing updates throughout the season. And this is a battle that every team up and down the grid fights and why Formula One managers have to be so good. You got a thousand people going in every direction, designing new parts, testing new materials. <clears throat> but sooner or later, somebody has to say, okay, it's done. That part is going to look like this. Hopefully it'll perform like this. And, and start, as Resta was saying, you know, putting the blocks together, you know, putting together a suspension and getting that on the car and the cooling and the engine installation and the aerodynamic bits and so on. I learned so much about these things from my old colleague, Steve Matchett, because uh, he, of course, had an insider perspective on all of that. And it, it's just fascinating. Yeah, I uh, that's why I love it when we have Dave O'Neill on the show because he's done the same right. thing. So yeah, he's, uh, he's seen it, done it. Uh, speaking of money, Graham, I have a little clip from Gunther Steiner because when we caught up with him at Coda last year, it was the day they announced this MoneyGram official sponsorship, and 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 he said I knew he had said something, so I dug this clip up because I've seen people on the inter- internet going, "Oh my gosh, another." lame sponsor from Haas F1 because they don't know who MoneyGram is. MoneyGram is a huge company and has deep pockets and is 
not some sort of scam like they have had to deal with in the past. But let me hear, let me let you hear Gunther Steiner himself say it. MoneyGram, American sponsor. They seem like a fantastic fit for you guys. Yeah, I, I, I mean, uh, you, you know, I think it's fantastic that we, we did the partnership with them. Uh, uh, you know, they are good, good guys. And uh, as you say, it's an American company, American team. I think we, uh, we, we, we are going the right direction here. You know, it will give us stability over the next years. You know, it's a, a multi-year uh, deal we have done with them, you know, and uh, they, they believe in F1 and uh, obviously they want to get globally a little bit more uh, rec recognition, but in the end, America is very, uh, very important to them. And, uh, you know, they seem to be happy with us. Uh, it's good, as I said, for the, for the whole team. Well, it seems like a partnership, it's a two-way relationship. Absolutely, uh, uh, partnerships, sponsorships at this level, they need to be a two-way uh, street because otherwise it isn't working for one of them, you know. So you need to try to find where you work together, you grow together, and they say the, so the opportunity in us, actually, because, uh, you know, uh, we are still up and coming, you know. I say even if we are here a long time already, we are still the youngest team, and we had two difficult years behind us, And but as you saw, we kick back and we keep on going, and uh, they want to be part of it, and obviously they realized that Formula One in the States now is very good. I think they are the first one uh, of the big companies jumping uh, into F1 from America. The first one of the big companies jumping in. I think that was before the Oracle announcement. Uh, but anyway, the fact that they are a big, serious sponsor with deep pockets, and I think it's a big deal. All right, let's, Bob, let's get a quick break in. And when we come back, we're going to talk some more Formula One. We'll probably move on to some more livery reveals. You're listening to your Sunday night with Speed City. Back after this. All right, we're still live on YouTube, Bob. Let's see. Joe Voice Your Bass says, hey, all late again. That's all right. Uh, oh, he's talking about Steve Matchett, Bob. He says, Steve Matchett yeah. got, me, got me into Formula One. His RPM show on Speed was great. I learned a lot yep. and gained appreciation for the sport I hadn't had before. Speed had lots of great stuff, including Bob. <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> go, uh, go buy Steve's books. Uh, the, the trilogy about uh, life as a Formula One mechanic. It's a it's a great look inside the sport. Even though Steve has been out of it for a while now, yeah, but he stays in touch with a lot of his old buddies. Yeah, I I definitely follow him on Twitter too. He's fun mm -hmm. on Twitter. Yeah, uh, you you tweeted out something today that I thought of. Oh, it was uh, talking about how uh, black is the new black on all the cars with black and oh yeah right and and I immediately thought I think I know why and I don't know this for sure but I think I do and it has to do with weight. This is how crazy this is. Is that. The, the if you have a black car, you can have no paint because of the black carbon fiber and save yourself a few grams of weight. Yes, which is what Williams did last year. They had to ask permission because once your 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 livery is homologated, just like your mechanicals, and uh, if you want to change your livery, you have to get permission. And Williams wanted to take off all but a minimal amount of paint on the car. For that reason, they wanted to save a few more ounces of weight. Um, but it just struck me that so many of the cars are black. We know Mercedes is going to be silver again. Black and red and a little bit of white seem to be the, the dominant colors thus far. I'm not sure they're all bare 
carbon fiber, although that's a pretty cool texture, I have to say. Um, but, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, all designers think alike, I guess, when it comes to liveries. Hello to everyone. This is Gunter Steiner. This is Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. <laughs> all right, welcome back. Uh, I want to talk about the AlphaTauri livery reveal. It was, uh, I don't know what I saw, was a two-minute video with about 10 seconds of the car at the end. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, they, they talk about this big New York glitzy announcement, and then they had that. I was like, oh, come on. And isn't it crazy, Bob, yeah. the differences between the reveals? Because some of them are like this, and then some have a lot of detail. The cars... Some of the cars are like the Red Bull. And by the way, to me, the biggest failure of them all was the Red Bull one because trying to watch that thing with all this unrelated content to F1, I mean, I literally, I kind of I stopped it and said, I'll go back and watch this because they had a bunch of Red Bull athletes from different sports, which is fine. It just didn't it didn't yeah. interest me. And and then, of course, yeah. the, the car was basically just a livery. But... Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's wild about the variations, the way the teams do it. Are you not tuned into that young vibe? <laughs> That's Red Bull. That's what they're selling as a lifestyle. AlphaTauri is selling sportswear. You know, it's um, yeah. It's it, you have to get to the core of their marketing plan. What are they out there to do? Oh yeah, here's the race car, by the way. You know, it's um, it's funny, but it's effective. I have to say. Yeah, and of course they did it during Fashion Week, right? Which is the AlphaTauri brand and how they're right. going to start selling that brand here in the United States for the first time. Yep. I think I read that. So, yeah. Um, but, I mean, well, first of all, what would you think of that livery? Yeah, I think it's cool. Is it blue? I couldn't tell, to be honest. Uh, yes. I thought it was another black race car, but I guess it's blue, which yeah. is kind of traditional for, for AlphaTauri. Um, you know, I, I've got to offer the caveat that I don't read anything into these reveals. You know, it's it's almost like the pink <laughs> or blue baby gender reveal. It's like, okay, fine. Um, and it's it's that way with these race cars. These are not the cars we're going to see testing in Bahrain in a few weeks. You know, it's 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 time to show off your sponsors. Um, you know, to get a little little publicity going. Um, yeah, and, and that's fine. I have no problem with all of that. I did sit up and pay attention when Christian Horner at the Red Bull gathering said, uh, yeah, I can see a fourth United States Grand Prix in New York. <laughs> I assume he knows that somebody <laughs> tried that. Yeah. Um, but uh, be that as it may, uh, interesting to hear that from uh, Christian Horner. Yeah, yeah. And, and that was before drive to survive so it's like uh, it's like pre-covid it's pre-drive to survive everything is different now yeah. mm -hmm. you know one of the things i'm really excited about with alfatari though is nick devries just because of the mm -hmm. way he came into the sport right that's going to be really mm -hmm. one of my favorite stories to watch oh yeah very talented guy um you know has been sort of overlooked he's been reserve driver for a long time uh, Mercedes put him into their Formula E program for three years, and uh, he won that world championship. Uh, and now he's uh, he's finally into Formula One. 
for a full season. So it, it's great. He's 28 years old, which is getting on for a guy making his debut in Formula One. Yeah. Um, but he's, he's a great guy. He's funny. Very good driver. Yeah. And I think he'll, uh, he'll make an impact at, uh, at AlphaTauri. No, I think, uh, I, Yuki Sonoda is going to have to pick it up. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, yeah, it, it was just so much fun the way he was thrown into the sport there and did mm-hmm. so great. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how he does. And, and that is an interesting, yeah. that's an interesting lineup, isn't it? With he and Sonoda. I mean, you don't, you don't, uh, he, you don't see a, a 28 year old rookie and uh, teamed up with such a young driver on the other side. It's just unusual, but yeah. it'll be fun to watch that. No question. Uh, let's see what else. You put in a very interesting story to me because I'm I'm really fascinated by this whole sustainable fuel side of Formula yeah. of all motorsports, in which you you mm-hmm. relate it back to Rolex. Talk about that, Bob. Well, of course, sports cars are where I began, so I was paying very close attention to the Rolex twenty four hours. Uh, I'm sorry I couldn't have been there. Um, but one of the things that really caught my attention was when our old friend Marshall Pruitt, during his extensive reporting, uh, mentioned that the race-winning Acura won despite having to make two extended pit stops for what he called an oil flush. Uh, apparently, the oil in the engine, in the system, had been compromised by some of the components in the sustainable fuel they were running, uh, probably through the combustion process. Uh, you know, the oil that uh, lubricates the, the cylinders um, was getting into the uh, fuel or the other way around. Whatever's yeah. in the fuel got into the oil and uh, and they had to they had to replace the oil on a couple of occasions. I actually called Marshall this week to uh, ask him if he could tell me more about it. He said that's on my list of stories to investigate. So if you follow Marshall Pruitt on social media, uh, watch for his reporting on that. As soon as I heard sustainable fuel for Formula One, I do not know if the components are the same. But I'm trying to get ahead of this idea that people might find it more complicated uh, than they're thinking when you get this stuff involved. Now, keep in mind, a few years ago, Ferrari got in trouble because it was determined that they were actually pushing oil into the cylinders during the combustion process to increase the caloric value, get more power out of each piston stroke and get around the fuel flow rules Mm. of Formula One. Formula One tells you how much fuel you can use and more importantly, how fast you can use it, the fuel flow meter. Um, And they were were found to have been getting oil into the combustion process with the fuel and air to, uh, to get a little more bang for their buck. So uh, it's very likely, as I see it right now at this early stage, that uh, sustainable fuels may cause some contamination problems that are going to have to be dealt with. We'll see. Yeah, I mean that's the last thing you want, as uh, you know, trying to keep the engine lubricated with some other chemical getting into the system. But you know, yeah. that, that that's going to be such a complex thing. I'm sure Formula One will get all that figured out. But I'm just excited to see sustainable fuels make it into the equation. Because of course. to me, that's that that's the thing that's going to keep our internal combustion cars on the road and the passion mm-hmm. and, and the mechanical that we all love. Yeah, we all love the, the acceleration of an electric car, but it's not what is exciting to me about uh, about motorsport and about 
the mechanical things that I've come to, you know, that I grew up with and love about about cars. So we'll see how all that plays out. That'll be really fascinating to see because I, I want to, I'm trying to stay on top of it, but I don't even know the directions. I know there's different ways to do sustainable fuel. So we'll check all that stuff out. But um, the other story, Schumacher, Mick Schumacher. Bob, that's interesting too. Yeah, that he's going to uh, have a reserve role. Um, obviously, Mercedes is taking very good care of him, and he will um, be at the Formula One races, probably get some, you know, FP1 uh, first practice drives. So uh, we'll be seeing Mick Schumacher around, and, uh, and that's good for the sport, I think, because he remains very popular. Yeah, what a smart move by McLaren. You know, that that's such a Zach Brown move, isn't it? To uh to to set up that that Schumacher cuz he is exactly what you said, just so popular that he could yeah. end up, you know, driving a McLaren as a reserve driver. That would be that's such a smart move by by Zach Brown, and he's always been yeah. good at that. That's right. The team escaped me. It's McLaren that he's chatting with. Yeah, yeah. Um mm-hmm. Also, uh, McLaren talking to Honda again. We talked about that earlier. Oh, I, I saw this. We talked about this right before we went on the air, but Daniel Ricciardo and Stephen Colbert. Uh, it's fantastic that we're getting so much F1 content across American television. But uh, but that was good of him to go on Colbert. And, and you commented before the show about how much he talked about Drive to Survive, right? Yeah, he actually credited Drive to Survive with nearly all of the uh, the boost in uh, young people's enthusiasm for Formula One here in the United States, which raised a question in my mind. Okay, a, a race weekend is not necessarily going to look just like Drive to Survive. I mean, you spoke with the uh, producers of that show in Austin last year. They were as surprised as anybody that it was as well-received and popular as it is. So... I don't know. It's the old lawyer in me talking, I guess. So what if <laughs> the presentation of Formula One race weekends isn't as dramatic and sexy and noisy and colorful as Drive to Survive, for obvious reasons, uh, it's reality. Um, is that going to turn off any fans? Are they hmm. going to say, well, this wasn't what I expected? Are we going to see a dip in those uh, astonishing popularity numbers? I don't know. I think it's a question worth asking. Hmm. Uh, misrepresentation is that the right word for the lawyer in you (laughs) no not misrepresentation but it's the difference between being able to get your video and pick and choose and develop your storylines as opposed to putting 20 of these fabulous race cars and personalities out there saying off you go have Mm -hmm. at it yeah i i hope that they that people don't get turned off let's say they watch drive to survive And they, you know, they get excited and then they turn on a race and, it, sure. you know, and, and if the first one they turn on happens to not be the most exciting, I could easily see that happening. But, but, you know, there is so much of, of drive to survive. That's kind of behind the scenes. So hopefully that's a, it still work as a pretty nice map. Look, whatever they've done, it's appeared to have worked, but I do know exactly what you mean. You know, I, I was talking about this F1 wheel nut while ago, I did a little presentation at a school and they wanted the the uh, teacher said, "Can you bring some video?" And I said, "Sure, I'll I'll grab some YouTube video." And I thought, you know what? I was so fascinated by the Grosjean crash in the Netflix, and they Netflix actually had a had a clip of that on YouTube. And I thought, uh, let me look and see what else is out there. So I went to YouTube's, excuse me, F1's YouTube channel, and basically played the same thing, 
And after playing them back to back, I was like, there's no doubt I'm going to take the Netflix version to the kids because it is so sure. dramatized. And they really right. did it. They did it fantastically well, telling mm -hmm. telling the story behind the scenes, showing the facial expressions of Gunther Steiner and and everybody when they didn't know what was happening inside that ball of fire. So, right. uh, you know, Netflix has knocked it out of the park. What is it? Box to box films. Those guys have knocked it out of the park. So they've done a great job with it. And, and Bob, I remember last year when it was announced, they did the, um, they talked about the numbers and I think it was two weeks in after the show had been out for two weeks and they said 50 million people had watched that Netflix show drive to survive in the first two weeks it was out. And, and then I saw yesterday that IndyCar had decided to up the ante and spend $17 million on marketing. I'm like, okay, IndyCar spending 17 million and uh, F1 is getting the equivalent of $17 billion worth of, that's an exaggeration, but who knows how much. So yeah, it's crazy. All right, we need to take a quick break, but when we come back, we have a young American driver, Jacob Abel, who's going to join us live from New Zealand. You're just your Sunday night with Speed City. Back after this. All right, we got Jacob Abel coming into Zoom right now. Let's see. Connecting to audio. Uh, Jacob, if you can hear me, you got a camera. Turn it on if you do. All right, all right. There he is. Cool. How's it going, guys? Good. How are you? Good. All good, and here in still sunny, beautiful Lake Taupo, New Zealand. Sweet. It's, it's not sunny and beautiful for those who, who don't know. But <laughs> Gotcha. That's a cool background. Where, Where is do you it? head home? Um, so me and my girlfriend are actually going to do a little bit of a little bit of a vacation here. Uh, so we'll stay for a few days. But um, yeah. yeah, and then head home on Thursday. It's been pretty fitting because most of the flights got canceled anyways because – Apparently, New Zealand likes to have hurricanes at this time of the year. So, ah, <laughs> news news to us. Well, Jacob, we're in a commercial break on the radio show, but we're still live on YouTube. Uh, so we'll be Very back cool. from break here in just a moment. Where are you now? You I said you at the hotel. Yeah, just at the hotel, still in uh, Taupo. Uh, we're gonna stay here, find somewhere to watch the Super Bowl today, um, and then oh, head down cool. to to Queenstown tomorrow. Cool. Yeah. All right, let's Queenstown see. or Queensland? Queenstown, actually. Yeah, oh. Queensland, I think, is in like Australia, but Queenstown is like one of the bigger, uh, bigger cities in, in New Zealand. So, mm -hmm. mm. Joe at Oyster and Bay a has a great days. comment on YouTube, really great comment. Joe says, Marshall Pruitt and Bus Bros had the best IndyCar content last year. IndyCar needs to actually do something. I, you know, I, I really feel bad for those guys because they've just been completely dominated by F1. But, man, Marshall's Marshall's videos, I didn't get to see much Bus Bros con content, but Marshall's were great. I don't know how he yeah. does it. He produces so go. many of them. Hi, this is Karun Chandok, and you're listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. All right, welcome back to your Sunday night with Speed City on a Sunday afternoon, a super Sunday. Uh, I want to welcome to the show, very excited because there are four Americans down in New Zealand this year for the Castrol Toyota Formula Regional Oceana Series. And we have with Nailed us it. 
Yeah, I was close, wasn't it? It was pretty close. A little hesitation there. It's a mouthful. <laughs> but we have with us Jacob Abel. Jacob, welcome to Speed City. Yeah, it's good to be here. I, I think I've, I've been on this a, a couple times, and it's always good to, you know, catch up with you guys. Well, give everybody a quick uh, breakdown on your background. You're an American, obviously. Where are you from and all that stuff? Yeah, so I'm originally from Louisville, Kentucky, um, hence the Muhammad Ali sweatshirt here. But, nice. Uh, yeah, so originally from there, uh, and I live in Indianapolis now. Uh, been racing cars since back in uh, 2017 now, so you know I'm kind of getting old in terms of uh, racing years here. So um, been racing uh, for like yeah, I guess six years now. Uh, started in Formula Four, uh, did F3 Americas for a while, um, Indy Pro 2000, and then most recently uh, last year raced uh, Indy Lights, but. Now they're renaming it to uh, Indy Next. So, yeah. And then down here in New Zealand, just finished up the Castrol Toyota Formula Regional Oceana Championship. Um, <laughs> ended up finishing third in the championship. And, and yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Mm. Danny Sullivan, my old TV colleague and a guy who messed around in IndyCar for a few years, Indy 500, all that stuff, <laughs> is also from Louisville. Does he have any kind of a profil- profile in uh, in his old hometown anymore? Uh I mean, racing just isn't really a thing in Louisville, like, believe it or not. (laughs) So the answer is no. We got, (laughs) yeah, basically, uh, no, but I obviously know who he is. um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's he's obviously a legend in the sport and Mm -hmm. one who who represents the the Louisville name really well. So hopefully I can, you know, follow in his footsteps. Well, you did good uh, down into New Zealand at the Toyota Series because you finished third in the highest ranked American, and you had a you had a mathematical chance going into that last race, didn't you? Yeah, um, yeah. the The last race weekend kind of sucked, uh, to be honest. But um, yeah, we did everything we could to to throw away third place in the championship, but <laughs> but couldn't manage to to do it. Um, but. Yeah, you know, we had a, a really good championship. It was kind of a boring way to to go to a third place overall result. You know, I I had, you know, four or five podiums, no race wins, and about 150 fourth and fifth place finishes. But <laughs> so not a not super glamorous, but uh, you know, a good result anyways. Well, you know, the competition is typically very good at the Toyota Racing Series and you I mean, you got to be proud of a third third place finish there. So, I mean, and, and how do you feel about the competition this year? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the competition is super strong down here. I think it's, you know, we've really realized being down here for, you know, these five weeks is how small this place really is. I mean, it's, it's basically the size of like, you know, any given state in America and the amount of race car drivers, like really successful race car drivers that they've produced out of here is like kind of insane. You know, you have mm-hmm. Scott Dixon, obviously Scott McLaughlin, you know, Marcus Armstrong now is racing IndyCar. Yeah. Uh, Liam Lawson is, is right on the brink of Formula One and, you know, tons of guys in super successful, you know, sports car roles um, and all of that. And it's just nuts because, you know, it's just this little country in, in the bottom of the world. and It's producing, you know, a ton of great talent. But yeah, this year, especially too, you know, you had Charlie yeah. Wirtz is obviously the guy who won the championship. He's his father is Alexander Wirtz, um, mm-hmm. who's a, a very successful Formula One driver. Um, and then Callum Hedge is, is the top New Zealand driver down here. Uh, he's super talented, um, really, really strong driver. So, yeah, it's been really tough, um, but, you know, really good experience just because, you know, I'd never driven any of these tracks before. I'd never driven this car before. Um, 
you know, it was, it was kind of funny because I've been racing in America, you know, my whole career, you know, I've never raced outside of America and I hadn't driven a new road course, new permanent road course for like three years before <laughs> I came down here. So it's, it's pretty cool. It's been a cool experience, but yeah, definitely excited to get back home and, and go to some familiar places. And it's spec series. What's next for you? Oh, go ahead, Bob. Sorry. Oh, just what, what, what's next for you, Jacob? Yeah. So it's a, a pretty quick turnaround now. I mean, we just finished five weeks down here and then uh, two weeks from today, we're going to be back on track in uh, Homestead, Miami, uh, testing the, the Indy next car um, right before the race weekend in St. Pete. So just a quick break and, and straight back into it. Hmm. I was just talking about the, the, the cars there at New Zealand. It's a spec car, everybody in the same car, right? Yeah. Yep. Everyone's in the same car and it's, it's a cool um, situation. It's, you know, spec beyond, you know, spec usually is, you know, I mean, you hear all these series are, are spec nowadays, but the cool thing about this series is after every single session, um, every driver gets the fastest driver's data. So you can, you can actually go back and, you know, compare it to whoever huh. was the fastest overall, the fastest on each team, you get all their data, which is a really cool thing. You can tell they're definitely, you know, motivated for, for development down here. That is funny. I, you know, Jonathan's been down there doing this thing for since inception, like 18 years ago or whatever it is. He's never told me that. That's fascinating. And that really is, that is a, it doesn't, like you said, spec can mean different things. That is truly a level playing field, isn't it? Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's cool. I mean, it's really cool, you know, coming from America and, you know, I've always been either on a one or two car team. I've never really gotten all this information. So it's been super cool to, you know, be able to see exactly what all the other drivers are doing, you know, to become fast and, and see that it really is possible because it kind of takes a lot of the excuses out of the equation um, when you get everyone's right. data. So, yeah. Yeah. So who, who were you closest to in your team? Who would you go over that data with? Yeah. So the team itself is, is Kiwi Motorsport, um, Gary and Tina, um, run that team very well. Uh, they also run a team back in America. I've known them for years. Um, but yeah, and then my engineer, uh, David Versalco. So he's, a uh, he's from New Zealand. Um, and then he spends most of his time during the year doing racing in Australia. So it was really cool to, to get close to him, a, a new engineer, um, throughout the, the time. And then also with me, I brought uh, Spencer Piggott, who's been driver coaching me for the past, you know, year and a half. Um, so yeah, him. Hmm. Well, guys, I just looked at the clock and the hour has flown by and uh, we are out of time. But Jacob Abel, uh, congratulations, sir. That was a, an accomplishment. <clears throat> I know you wanted to do better than that, but you finished third in that, <laughs> in that level of competition. It's great. We were watching you the whole time. We were paying attention to all the Americans down there. And that's something to be big time proud of. And uh, we appreciate you coming on the show. Absolutely. Yeah, awesome. Thank you guys we'll so much for We'll be looking for those me. results from Homestead. Yeah, there you go. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And uh, go watch the Super Bowl, I guess. I'm, I may watch some of it. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next Sunday night.